Hello and welcome to this episode one of the greatest show in the galaxy, the brand new Simply Syndicated Doctor Who podcast. I'm Michael Maltz, uh, editor of Starbase 66 and honorary producer of Atomic Trivia War 9000. And joining me is everybody's favourite Whovian, Emma Lou. Oh, hello. Hello. You all right, darling? Hello. All right, mate. I'm fine. How are you doing? Oh, I'm grand. Thank you, friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, Emma, what are we doing mm. here then? Well, this is all about Doctor Who. Um, this has been, I think, a long time in the making for us. Mm. Um, we are uh, generalist nerds, but I think with me and you, our passion really lies with Doctor Who. Um, mm. We've wanted to get a, a show where we can talk about just Doctor Who off the ground for a little while now. It's very cool to be on shows like the excellent Starbase 66 and being invited on to talk with the Admiral about uh, Doctor Who. But it was about damn time we got our own show going. <laughs> so here we are. Yes. So what we're going to start off with, basically, as many people, many Whovians and pretty much anybody who doesn't really know about Doctor Who heard about it anyway. On Sunday night, we were introduced to the 12th Doctor. And who is the 12th Doctor, Emma? The 12th Doctor is Peter Capaldi, much to everyone's shock and surprise. <laughs> Apart um, from those bookmakers. Uh, well, yeah, so the bookies always seem to know, don't they? Mm. Um, yes, well, allegedly only 10 people on planet Earth knew before the live show went out. They say you may not, oh, yeah, say it was, it's simulcast across the globe, mm. bafflingly. Um, <laughs> a fact which I'm still kind of thrown by, I must say. I think we're going to come on to that later because um, yes. I think it was a subject of some consternation amongst our fellow fans but yeah um, Peter Capaldi was revealed to the world in a excruciatingly long BBC um, show <laughs> um, the last three only the last three minutes of which was actually devoting to unveiling said new doctor mm. um, yes uh, say I the question I'd really like to ask you Mike mm. is how big a risk is Peter Capaldi's casting to you? What What is your impression of that? How big of a risk? Hmm. Now, as I say, because although I think he's a good choice for, for fans, I mean, me and you especially, mm. we're ecstatic. And I was in my home. We had some other fans around. And they're all, we're all extremely pleased with that choice. And the vast majority of our fellow fans on Twitter that we both mutually know, and I think a lot of uh, people who may be listening to this probably know as well, were um, also very pleased. I saw very few negative comments. But although it's, it's a good fan choice, it does he represent a possible risk to the general public? Does uh, John Q. Public, who are watching Doctor Who on the on a casual basis, are they going to take to him? Hmm. That's a good question, because obviously there's been a trend as of recently for the Doctors to get gradually younger. And obviously Peter Capaldi's 55, so... That kind of, I think he's what the second oldest actor to play the Doctor after William Hartnell, something like that. He's... Yeah, I mean, yeah, they were both fifty-five, but mm -hmm. I think Hartnell kind of beats him by months rather than years. Yeah. But again, I think Hartnell threatens you because he was made up to look much older than he actually was, mm -hmm. and often played even before he did Doctor Who would often play people who were much more old than he actually was in real life. So mm. um, I think that kind of throws people off. But yeah, um, casting a 55-year-old, when I think me, you, and the rest of the Doctor Who watching public were expecting another person who appears to be eight years old. Yeah. Yes, I think that's, that's kind of... Because, I mean, one of the names in the running was, uh, was Daniel Rigby, I believe, was it? 
Yeah, Daniel Rigby was um, a, a person I thought was going to actually take the role. Um, a few of the runners and riders that were leading up to the the day, you had you. I mean, I, I was saying to my to my other half that it's. I think this is the first cycle of um, possible new castings that hasn't included people like James Nesbitt, Bill Nye, mm-hmm. Alan Davies. Those people, these people who are always linked to the role yeah. and have often said. For God's sake, we have no interest in doing this job. Um, I think I think this is the first time I can remember for a long time, even before the series came back, the mid nineties years when there was kind of always these little stories every so often that um, the show would be coming back. Those names were always linked to it, but um, this time not not the case. Um, you had people like Chris O'Dowd, uh, most famous of the IT crowd. Um, you had a late. A late break on the day was Sam Troughton, grandson of Patrick, <laughs> was was mooted. Uh, Frederick, uh, I think his name is Freddie Fox, part of the Fox acting dynasty. Um, the bookmakers actually stopped taking bets on him on Saturday. Oh. Such was the the rush of bets on him. But yeah, um, Daniel Rigby was really, I thought, was going to be the casting choice. He won a, was it a BAFTA? I believe so. Let me go check. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think it was. A, he won a BAFTA, beating out both uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Matt Smith. Oh yes. Um, so for me, I thought that Moffat, being Moffat, who you know is, I think, always on the lookout for interesting new people for mm. whatever one of his shows he's producing at the time, be that Sherlock or Doctor Who, might say, "Well, maybe I want this person who's beat my two guys, my two leading men." So I did wonder if maybe that would have brought him to Moffat's attention and he fits the profile. He's fairly young. He's sort of on the edge of breaking out. Sort of, a, he's, I, I feel mm. like he's sort of one big role away from becoming a household name. Yeah. So, yeah, he seemed to have all the... Or he sort of seemed to tick all the boxes. So when um, Peter Capaldi was revealed, it was just such a shock. Mm. Uh, I think... We all, I mean, I think it was about a week before that his name was starting to be banded around. I saw it on Twitter and other such places, and I just thought, no way, he's far too big for this. Mm-hmm. It was really sort of like 11th hour that he uh, he popped up as a forerunner, so it's, it's, it's interesting. But um, one thing I knew Stephen Moffat had said was he was the first cho- he was the first and pretty much only choice for the role. Yeah, and the other thing that I thought Moffat, said that was interesting was that he was considered before mm. but sort of rejected on the basis that he wasn't right for the role at, the time. at that time mm-hmm. so i thought that was quite interesting yeah this whole thing of peter capaldi being sort of the one and only choice it's sort of reminiscent of when david tennant was cast in mm. that i don't think anyone was ever in the frame apart from him yeah that greatly surprised me again i thought sort of i, I remember tweeting at the time when matt smith um finally admitted that he was leaving um, after a long, long chunk of speculation that he was sort of imminently about to announce he was off, that we should start looking for skinny white boys in their 20s um, <laughs> who are in, who are in uh, BBC dramas, better keep their phones close to them because their agent's about to ring them. But yeah, I think that when he... Again, I think me and you had the same reaction when we when Capaldi's name was starting to be banded around. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a lovely choice. It will never happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, precisely. Because obviously Peter Capaldi is best known, well, certainly here in England, uh, for his role as Malcolm Tucker in The Thick of It, which is known for sort of being, how should we say it? Pretty uh, ripe. Yeah, pretty sort of 
strong worded. In fact, here's a clip. <laughs> Come the fuck in or fuck the fuck off. How much fucking shit is there on the menu and what fucking flavour is it? Because I'm connected. I'm plugged into the Matrix. I am the fucking Matrix. I booked you in for the usual soapy tit-wank farewell at number 10. And this is the fucking Shawshank Redemption, right? But with more tunneling through shit, no fucking redemption. Not only have you got a fucking bent husband and a fucking daughter that gets taken to school in a fucking sedan chair, you're also fucking mental. Jesus Christ, see you, you're a fucking omni-shambles, that's what you are. You're like that coffee machine, you know, from bean to cup, you fuck up. Jesus, said fucking Corbett. You know what you are? You're a fucking human dartboard. And Eric fucking Bristol's on the hockey, flinging a million darts made of human shit right at you. Can you take that? Can you? Fuck off, back to your match reports, you twat. Okay, fuckity bye. And that's the sort of thing you'll never hear the doctor saying. <laughs> that's true. I mean, obviously, watching a lot of the... We were watching a lot of the coverage running up to the... Uh, on the day running up to the show and mm. um, they had talking heads on the BBC and Sky News and the such and they said well what about Peter Capaldi and then they basically show about the only clean clip of In the Thick of It that they could show <laughs> it was about like five uh, seconds long or something about five seconds long yeah <laughs> um, and them saying well Malcolm Tucker is the doctor he just swears of course leaving out the fact that Peter Capaldi is probably one of the most versatile and talented actors this country's produced in mm -hmm. some time that he's basically just not a one trick swearing pony yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah this was the sort of thing of like oh Malcolm Tucker can't be the doctor mm. and um, yeah I mean of course you know I was I was just as guilty of making you know adapting yeah. to Think of it. Um, <laughs> quotes into Doctor Who talk. Um, Come on, and... the fucking tired so fuck the fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that one has uh, been a favourite. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, no, I've, I've, that's it. I mean, I do wonder if this is one of the things that also uh, came to mind is um, how much of a problem is it going to be when people separate Powdy from Tucker? Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, we've got the whole fact that he's been in a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he's been in, you know, talks with Miracle... No, not Miracle Day, not Children the bad... Birth. The good one. Um, <laughs> you know, had a pretty much a lead... A, a, a pretty chunky part in that. Um, he had a pretty chunky part in um, Fires of Pompeii. Mm -hmm. And he's one of those actors that I think... He's so he's such a good character actor mm -hmm. that when you're watching something, you go, oh yeah, Peter Capaldi's in this, yeah, because you so think, oh yeah, it's that character when he's playing like the Angel Islington or he's playing, mm. oh, I can't remember what his character name is in Fires Pompeii. Please don't kill me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, he so inhabits that character, you kind of almost forget that it's Peter Capaldi the actor. You just assume it's this person because mm. he's so he's just again you, you don't think of him as Peter Capaldi. You think of him as Malcolm Tucker. That mm -hmm. I think that getting him really kind of it, I think one of the thing is it really raises the bar for the level of casting that Doctor Who is capable of I mm -hmm. think in theory in the 50th anniversary you've got Peter Capaldi David Tennant Matt Smith and John Hurt mm -hmm. all in the same show which I think for like a top end BBC drama like one of our nine on at nine o'clock at night marquee you know leads the autumn listings mm -hmm. drama which is probably like a gritty crime drama or something <laughs> you know you would you would beg for that cast for that yeah so the fact that our dear old doctor who has got this so kind of wonky shonky family <laughs> saturday night um sci-fi show um wobbly sets and all yeah wobbly sets and all as the old cliche goes has got this cast mm -hmm. 
kind of if you told me this even three years ago i probably would have laughed in your face <laughs> it, it's, doctor who is um although has it, the the attitude towards it has changed considerably i wonder if getting someone like peter capaldi to play 12 opens up sort of some really interesting options for when they had to get around to casting 13 i wonder what you think of that yeah it, it's it's I wouldn't say it's necessarily changed the game somewhat, but the fact that someone as, as high a profile as Capaldi is compared to Matt Smith, and I'm not knocking Matt Smith at all. I'm sure he's going to have a great career ahead of him. But, but the fact that we've got Peter Capaldi, who's so well-known and well-loved, well I think when it comes to 13, we could be seeing pretty much, well, I wouldn't say necessarily everybody, but it, 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 I think it certainly opens the path for a barnstorming possible finish. Uh, well, depending on, I, depending on what they do, of course. I don't think it's going to be the possible finish myself. No, no. But um, no, I just, I mean, I thought that that opens up some really interesting possibilities. Mm. And not just for casting your 13th Doctor. Yeah. I mean, people that could play companions, people that could play major villains. I mean, mm. of course, we've got Richard Jeff E. Grant yeah. playing the Great Intelligence last year. And in a pretty minor part as well. Not a big, not a big part, the Great yeah. Intelligence. So, I mean, you know, you're getting these people who've been in Hollywood movies, people who've won big awards, you know, and with the maximum respect to people who've come before in the classic and the sort of the early days of uh, the revival, mm-hmm. you couldn't hope to cast people like that, I don't think. No. So I think that this kind of the expansion of their horizons in terms of casting is a really is really exciting as a as a fan who's been a has been a fan for a while, you know, sort of used to seeing people who've been in, you know, The Bill and Casualty and Grange Hill and then kind of that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Beryl Reed is a hardened space freighter captain. Oh, they're old Beryl. Clearly <laughs> no idea what was going on, bless her heart. Uh, so the other sort of uh, interesting parts, uh, interesting things that came to me when I was thinking about this, when mm. I was 100% doing work honest, but anyone who might work with me at work, um, <laughs> is... Uh, as a consequence of casting someone like a Peter Peter Capaldi, thank God I've got a pop mar- screen up in front of my mic for that <laughs> name. Um, where do we think Series Eight's going to go as a consequence? Because we know that Peter Capaldi has got serious acting chops, and mm. again, maximum respect to David Tennant and Chris Freckleston and Matt Smith, who could do light and dark very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if you've got someone like that, if you're going to take it, if they're going to sort of aim to take it much darker. Yeah. Well, that always seems to be sort of like the kind of the, the buzz, like, oh, this is going to be a darker doctor and, oh, and all sorts of things. I think there will still, obviously there will still be the humour. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be as sort of over, top, over the top sort of gesticulating like Matt Smith does, you know, when he's like spinning around the TARDIS and throwing the leaves and all sorts of that. I think... It's probably going to be from Capaldi's Doctor. I think much more sort of dry humour. Yeah. Maybe slightly, slightly, slightly biting. I mm. think. I wonder if we're going to sort of get kind of a more and the fifth and sixth Doctor vibe from him. Kind yeah, of that's that kind of sarkiness and um, yeah, a great deal of affection for for Clara. I think that that's going to be another interesting relationship where it was mm. kind of like a almost brother sister type thing. I wonder if he's going to Capaldi's going to be much more sort of avuncular and um, almost like reflecting the kind of the grandfather granddaughter relationship between the first Doctor and Susan. That mm. kind of, and also the John the third Doctor John Pertwee also had quite a a fatherly uncle like relationship, especially with Joe, mm-hmm. who was sort of 
portrayed as kind of this girl straight out of school and kind of very naive. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Clara isn't that. No. But I wonder if you're going to see more of that kind of not a father daughter relationship, but like an older person with a younger person kind of. Yeah, I think yeah, that, that's entirely that's entirely possible. I think that's probably the route. I could possibly see Capaldi's Doctor having sort of shades of the seventh, like slightly maybe more, more like manipulative yeah. or sort of like more of a sense of he's got like a plan. Yeah, you know kind of I mean? more that sense of danger about him. Mm. I think that this whole idea of he, you know, I think that Matt Smith had a, a jolly good go at doing that. I think they were sort of building into this whole thing of, you know, he knows more than he's letting on. Letting on and he's always got, he's kind of always three steps ahead of the game and mm. he's got something up his sleeve. Whereas with Tenet's Doctor, you kind of felt like he's pulling out of his ass at the last minute. <laughs> Where I think, yeah, this whole kind of, the same they did with the second Doctor a bit, but they really wanted to do with the seventh. But I think, unfortunately, they ran out of time. But if mm. you watch a story like Ghostlight yeah. or, or The Curse of Fenric, this whole idea of it being a trickster playing the long game, you know, always giving off this impression of he knows more than he's letting on, I think would suit Peter Capaldi well. I mean, again, based on what we've seen him do, but he may decide to take it in a completely different direction. And that's Hmm. really incredibly exciting. I think, um, although when Matt Smith was cast, I was a bit like, oh, okay, I mean, because I'd seen him, I'd seen the only other two things he'd done. I'd seen <laughs> Ruby in the Smoke and I'd seen Party Animals, mm-hmm. um, which he was very good in. Um, but I think me and my other half about the only people in the country actually watch Party Animals, uh, <laughs> apart from Matt Smith's mum. Um, <laughs> oh, snap. But yeah, I mean, he was very good in that. And when he was cast, we were like, oh, okay, he's new. Let's give him a shot. We weren't, you know, going, oh, you know, covering ourselves in slackcloth and ashes now that David Tennant's gone, unlike a lot of our uh, our contemporaries. Um, <laughs> still yeah, are. <laughs> still are, yeah, Christ. I think we have to talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, so actually, let's stop putting it off. So do you think this is going to affect the US fan base? And more to the point, should we give a shit? Hmm. See, I, I have to be honest. I don't know much about the American fan base apart from when mm. I've been talk- we've been talking to Rick uh, on Starbase sixty six. I have a feeling that people will take to him. Yeah, but I think there'll still be that sort of card. I mean, I, th- I think that's going to be a, a universal. There'll be this cadre who still hold on to David Tennant, as good a doctor as he was, but he's gone. Yeah, he's long gone. I mean, actually, this is something that I've I've said to people that I know um, about the 50th. When they announced that David Tennant was coming back, I mm-hmm. felt sorry for Matt Smith because I thought it's taken him so long to get out from under this bloke's shadow. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in the eyes of fans, who I think took to him once he'd been on and sort of came on with all that kind of swagger and how good he was. Especially uh, and custard. Yeah, and his fish fingers are custard and who the man and all that stuff. Um, you know, he he impressed people and he not these that he blew David Tennant away necessarily, but no. you were like, Okay, this guy has got the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. So when they said that he was coming back for the fiftieth, I just felt I felt a lot of I felt dead sorry for Matt Smith because, you know, it kind of undermines him almost. But mm. the um, the fact that He's cho- chosen to move on. I think it might not be a bad idea in the wake of the fact that he's the guy whose shadow he still is struggling to get out from under in some cases yeah. is now back and he's probably going to be the centre of attention in that episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
a lot of people have been saying about the 50th anniversary, oh, you know, where's Sylvester McCoy, where's Colin Baker, where's Peter Davison? Oh, yeah. The problem is that... They're old. They're old, yeah, that's, that's exactly the problem. I mean, <laughs> you know... I, their hearts, they connect their little socks off. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I met Colin recently at a convention. I mean, mm. and he's, he's full of beans. He is hysterical storyteller. Um, when If you listen to any of the Big Finish stuff, the radio plays, mm-hmm. um, his doctor, you know without any visual input is still the sixth doctor exactly i mean his voice is exactly the same his interact he hasn't forgotten how to play the role mm-hmm. but visually he looks nothing like he did when he was the sixth doctor mm. to the point that it will suspend disbelief and yeah. unless you do kind of creepy x-men 3 euthening <laughs> kind of thing with it um which the baby which would ruin the budget for the year mm-hmm. it, it can't be done it's just not practical yeah. you could have them as like uh, what they did with uh, the name of the doctor and do some little inserts with body doubles and voiceovers it's yeah. still and it's it's fine for a few seconds but it's it's not sustainable over an episode. So no. they've got who they can use. I mean, because you're down to Paul, Paul Began, who won't do it. Yeah. Chris Reckleson, who would never do it. No. I don't in a month or Sundays. David Tennant, who would turn up even if you didn't even ask him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you're basically, you're, they're using the only resource they've really got, which is mm-hmm. David Tennant. I mean, the Fifth Doctor you, is fine for a children in need sketch. Yes, but it doesn't sustain for what may well be a ninety-minute episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even like Colin Baker, even back in like the nineteen ninety-three children in need special dimensions in time, even then he wasn't. His, his hair was a lot shorter, and it was it was starting to like stretch credibility slightly. Mike, let us never speak of dimensions in time again. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about. Go on YouTube, I'm sure it's on there, and Mm -hmm. uh, look up Dimensions in Time and then cry. Cry long and bitter tears, because in the 90s, this is all we had. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had the 3D glasses for it. Did you? Oh, yeah. DM. Didn't work. Nope, they never did. Didn't fuck it work. At least it wasn't one of those bloody awful scratch and sniff things. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) were horrendous anyway (laughs) that's a story for another time Mm. (laughs) one thing that i thought of um i wonder if they're going to introduce some of the valyard stuff now we're getting into the between your 12th and 13th regeneration such and Mm. such and such i wonder if that's where they're going to go with the john hurt character because i think that makes sense myself but Mm. um, yeah i wonder if they're going to start playing with that notion that's a good question because yeah I mean, the Valyard has been name-checked, I think, before in the, recently in the new series, yeah. But I don't know if you can... It would be sort of like trying to reintroduce the Rani into the show. <laughs> Did you hear the rumour? I think oh it was when the end of time was being uh, bandied about and casting for that, that Gillian Anderson was mooted as the Rani to the point of... <laughs> to the point of being on IMDb. <laughs> No, actually. How amazing would that would have been? Gosh, that wouldn't that wouldn't be bad, actually. I could oh. I could see her sort of like calming it up sort of Oh, I think she'd be brilliant. Yeah. I mean, considering that I mean, I'm a huge Jean Anderson fan, she's my spirit animal. Um but no, I mean the fact that even looking on I my mate sent around a link saying, Oh my god, look who's been cast in the end of time, sending a, <laughs> an IMDB link round with Gillian Anderson as the Rani and I think I just about fell off my chair laughing. Um Well this but, was a companion for a change. Yes, that's true. That's <laughs> very anytime, true. Anytime you have a female compa- companion, there's always some tinfoil wearing 
loon who says, oh, maybe she's a Rani in disguise. No, shut up. Every time, every time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, if you're listening to this and don't know who the Rani is, um, <laughs> and you have a high tolerance for camp, um, look up the <laughs> the mark of the Rani, and also I would advise a high tolerance for bad northern accents. Uh, yes, you are, you are going to have to be a Doctor Who fan to actually listen to this show. Yeah, <laughs> we may, we should have said that first, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, well. if- if you if you just watch series seven, and you're going oh a Doctor Who podcast. You might want to have to go and do some revision first. I'm terribly mm. sorry. <laughs> also, we should probably warn you that we may well spoil something right up to the big the. Uh, I probably already have spoiled. Yes. Um, yeah, I definitely have spoiled um, right up to the end of season seven. So you might want to copy and paste that to the beginning of the show, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, I'll be fine. Nah, I'll be fine. Yeah, that works out. Yeah, uh, so I think uh, one thing we should talk about mm. is the consternation that the whole po- whole thing of having a special show introducing the Twelfth Doctor caused, because people were alternatively happy, freaked out, annoyed, and enraged by this whole concept. <laughs> I think the only problem I had with it was that it was a live show. Yeah, most definitely. Now, obviously, there's a precedent for doing this because, obviously, last time we had a new Dr. Matt Smith, there was a half-hour show yeah. introducing him. And that was absolutely fine. I didn't have a problem with that because, let's, let's be honest, there was, I've been reading some internet comments, which is always a bad idea. Yeah. Never do that, people. Just, just it's bad don't. for your sanity. If you value your sanity, don't do it. It's especially egregious on the BBC News when they have the have your say bits. Oh. All, all the people go, oh, Dr. Who's a... Piffling you're not perhaps and... right somehow about yeah. this. <laughs> it's all piffling tosh. Why are we wasting the license fee? Oh, shut the children's fuck show. Off. Fuck off. Yes. <laughs> See, the, the, the thing of it is, there is, in this day and age of the internet, you know, sort of digital spying, what, what have you, all the news sites, io9, what have you, there is no way in hell you could keep Peter Capaldi's The Twelfth Doctor secret unless no. he did all the filming doors and even then, Someone in some junior member of the production crew is going to, probably going to go yapping to the Sun newspaper. So, well, I mean, and as well, the BBC have notoriously uh, are quite bad at doing that thing where you email someone and then press reply all, <laughs> which includes every major media outlet. Because the amount of stories, even this year, that have been leaked in that fashion, uh, <laughs> I think it's at least half a dozen about various subjects. Hmm. I think the fact that Matt Smith was going was leaked in that in that. I mean, the day that he was going, we know people who know people who were getting phone calls on the day from mm-hmm. major media outlets, which were remain unnamed, mm-hmm. asking for their response about Matt Smith going when that news was supposed to be embargoed until midnight. And we knew at 7 p.m. the day before. Mm. I mean, we're just chumps from we're just chumps who live in Essex. Mm-hmm. So if we know um, something's gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, like I say, there, there's no way, there's no way in hell you could have kept that quiet. Eventually, no. it would have been leaked. So, absolutely, yes, have a special to introduce the new Doctor. But I think the fact it was a live show, I, I mean, I've, I've literally before we started recording this, I went, I went and watched it again. Okay. And it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I'm not, no. say, I'm not saying I didn't. It was, it was okay, but I don't know. It just, it didn't sit right somehow. I mean. Like the, because when you saw, sometimes when you get things like this, I mean, yes, it was nice to have Peter Davison being chatted to and Bernard Cribbins, you know, people who've actually had involvement in the show, but then you got like Rufus Hound and Lisa Tarbuck. I mean, not disrespecting them, but. What's the point? Yeah. 
You know, I mean, that's... Sam turned up and embarrassed himself by not knowing what's uh, <laughs> uh, getting his facts wrong in the heat of the moment, bless his heart. But yeah. um, well, I mean, again, uh, you can say live show. It, it, live show again, exactly. You know, um, yeah, of course. But I mean, um, one thing that I think I said to you before, and obviously I'll reiterate here, is that it was a hell of a risk to do a live show in front of a studio audience. Mm. Because, I mean, um, as arrogant as Moffat is with some justification, you have to think in the back of his mind, what if they don't like who I've cast and mm. make that known on live television? I mean, you must they must have been broadcasting with some sort of delay, mm. but still, there's only so much booing you can fade down in a yeah. studio. So if they pick someone maybe that the live audience found controversial, mm-hmm. what would have happened? So I think we all knew it would have... It, sort of who we were going to... We were basically going to get a white dude of some mm-hmm. mix well um I, yeah to be honest yeah. I think that was always going to be on the cards anyway yeah i have to be honest i mean no no disrespect to like shane or anybody else who put out the call for like a black doctor or a female doctor or an asian doctor i mean ultimately my my view of casting the doctor has always been they should get the right person yeah doesn't matter whether the black white female transsexual whatever i think as, as long as you've got the right person for the job anything else is sort of irrelevant. And even if they had cast, like, say, Idris Elba as the Doctor or, you know, or Zoe Wanamaker or whoever, there still would have been some numpties on the internet going, oh, well, they're just token casting. Yeah. They're just, they're just casting a woman or a black dude because they feel like they have to. It's like, yeah. you know, guys, come on. So, yes, obviously, having, like, a female Doctor or a black Doctor would have been different, and I've been totally cool with that. I think, ultimately, it was always going to be a white dude. Yeah. I mean, say, I mean, the fact that they were, I mean, I think that the ma- the, the first real, like, certain indication of that was the announcement that it was going to be a live show. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I'm in the same position of viewers, is I want the best available person to play that part when we need them to play it. Mm-hmm. And I want someone who, I say, actually, I'm going to leave that point to one side for a second and come back to it. Okay. But, yeah, I just want the best person who can do the job right now hmm. and um neil gaiman actually has now claimed that they asked a black actor to do it and they t- he was they were turned down by this person whoever hmm. this person may be yeah. i know that he've had people like patterson joseph and chisajewidja for who have been kind of big big names that um have come up in casting rumors uh way back to david tennant's casting mm. yeah again but i think that the fact that they said right we're going to do it live um kind of said to me they're going with a safe choice mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean i think that again the point that we made earlier that maybe peter capaldi's casting may open the door to mm. a different kind of thing and as neil gaiman has said in this interview that i read it was on io9 that he said, well, I've, uh, in The Doctor's Wife, I made it quite clear that the Corsair has been both a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And so I've set that in canon. Obviously, canon is malleable, mm-hmm. but um, he sort of set the precedent for it. So he feels like Peter Capaldi would, is a shove of the foot in the door jam mm-hmm. where you may get, maybe not, not even the 13th Doctor, but whatever they decide to do after that point, mm-hmm. 14 onwards where they can say, well, it's a new life cycle and we can do whatever we like with it. Yeah, I think that's probably the... I have to be honest, I think that's probably the most likely time that will happen. Yeah. Once they break the current regeneration cycle, whichever way they do it. I think even the 13th Doctor is probably going to be a white male. 
Yes, I would imagine so. Mm-hmm. It will be someone probably who, to my eyes, will resemble a fetus because now I'm 30, <laughs> everyone looks like a child to me unless they're older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, I don't know. It's like my old person switch has been switched on in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's probably going to be some 20-something with stupid hair. Uh, you know, I probably couldn't fit my old arm in his trousers and then when you know we get round to Dr 14 um, whenever that may be and I think depending on what happens in the future of the show mm-hmm. because I mean if you think about it as astonishing as it may seem we are actually hoving in on the 10th anniversary of the broadcast of Rose. We're, what, about 18 months away from that as we speak now? Uh, yeah, it was April 2005. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's oh shit. <laughs> Exactly, don't you feel old? That's, that's scary. Yeah, isn't it just? So, I mean, um, you know, we are looking at the show, although we talk about it being New Who and, you know, a recent revival, we're mm-hmm. talking about that this has been nearly 10 years again. Yeah. So, wow. hot, um, you know, about a third of the original run, which is 26 years. Oh, yeah. that's, that's That's weird. That is a weird um, concept. I'm, I'm sorry, Emmy, you're going to have to talk for the rest of the show. I think my mind's been broken. Okay. <laughs> While you scrape your mind up off your desk. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we're talking about anniversaries again. And, yes. you know, so who knows? They may, if we are round to a 13th generation, I mean, my big fear about casting Capaldi is that he's not going to stick around. Mm. That we might have a one and done again. You know, we might have just one season or one and a half seasons. Mm. And he's going to get a better offer somewhere. And make his marching orders which depending on where they then decide to go you could have a 10th anniversary year with your 13th doctor about to regenerate again Mm. and going into a 14th so will they use that opportunity we just don't know but i think that's probably the most likely scenario at the moment yeah i mean you'd you'd hope he'd at least do at least three just so he can like match so i remember that i think they were quite adamant when matt smith uh signed up that he was signed up for a length of time Mm because obviously they'd been stung with Chris Eccleston, as it's rather acerbically called in some of my uh, guidebooks and the such, the Eccleston months, um, <laughs> uh, you know, took his ball and went home. Where, you know, David Tennant, uh, I mean, uh, sort of wanted to stick around because he loved it. He ultimately, I think he went as well with Matt Smith. It, it, as much as they loved it, clearly, mm-hmm. it's just this is a hell of a job, and they're just burnt out by it when it gets when push comes to shove. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping Peter Capaldi sticks around until 2015 at least. I mm-hmm. mean, if they want to do something for like a 10th anniversary special, then I could see that being like another regeneration event. Mm-hmm. I think that's that might be where they go if they keep him for that length. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to get another series until mid-2014 now. Yeah. So that will be when Series 8 comes on. So you'd hope that Series 9, you'd stick around till then at least. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he'd been signed to like a, a, like a multi-year contract. Because I think that's sort of like... I, like it was been said on the, the last uh, Doctor Who roundtable on the Starbase... You know, now it's getting to a point where people are going to go like, let's see some some zeros, and you'd hope they'd like try and lock them down for you know two or three years just to sort of like get some marge out of them. Because again, like you said, you're going to have like the Eccleston phenomenon. Yeah. So that's my big. That's so like if I have one concern about Peter Capaldi, that is my concern mm. that um, you know he's going to get you know a better offer from Hollywood, and we're going to end up in like a a situation where um, he's sort of being pulled one way but his contract says another thing and we're going up in a, a thing of like 
will he be going after this? Will he be going after that? I mean, I think you said uh, yeah. in the run up to the show, I wonder if the first question he's going to be asked is when is he leaving? <laughs> Um, a question that still hasn't been asked strangely enough no, I, I don't know what's going on yeah so yeah I think it unfortunately it's one of those things we're not going to know until it, it sort of rolls round unfortunately so yeah that's that's my big concern with him mm. um, I think the other the other thing that I thought I did wonder about is I wondered how kids were going to take to him this kind of idea of a of an older doctor a dad as opposed to like an older brother figure but then the sort of the amusing idea of kids walking around with Peter Capaldi's face on lunchboxes and what have you. <laughs> I mean, the, the idea that in some short space of time, there's going to be a Peter Capaldi action figure in my house yeah. uh, just makes me giggle every time <laughs> I think of it. Um, so I wonder what you think to this, Mike, about, um, you know, uh, just from where I was on Twitter while we were watching it, uh, people were tweeting their kids' reactions, you know, some vehemently against it, some kind of into it. So I wonder how kids are going to react to this. Hmm. Well, the finicky lot kids. Yes. I, th- I think I think the really invested ones in two will take to them. Yeah. I think the ones who maybe aren't as invested will probably... Again, I suppose it really depends on what he does with it. Because yeah. I think a lot of kids could get into Matt Smith because he was sort of like... He has childlike qualities to him. Yeah, yeah. So unless Capali goes for a slightly more sort of Troughton-esque sort of angle yeah it seems to be foolish but actually a bit dark and yeah Actually, yeah it is now that you think about it it does seem like a i wouldn't say maybe it's not a necessarily massive risk for uh, the production team but it's it's a it's a big go isn't it it is but the more you think about it in those terms mm. this is something that my fir- my very first thought on it was that is this a fan pleaser at the risk of an alienating their bread and butter viewers because um, obviously the show is now run by fans essentially. Mm. Um, So, and is, I mean, I don't care what they say is influenced by um, fan reaction to an extent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that when you cast someone like Peter Capaldi, you're not going to go wrong with the hardcore fan base. Yeah. the the kids who are growing up now the the sort of the six to nine year olds who are just coming into fandom mm-hmm. if you like i mean because this is where i think this that age is where the decision is made whether you're gonna enjoy it for a few years and move on or whether this is an addiction for life so i wonder if the the kids who've, who've come up with matt smith and want to stick with it i think you're going to get a certain amount of drop off like we did when we got david tennant and the mm-hmm. such but i wonder because obviously David Tennant to Matt Smith wasn't as jarring as change as I think Matt Smith to Peter Capaldi is going to be. Mm. So I wonder what, if you're going to have a much kind of more of a sharp decline before another rise, because um, I think it was interesting in in differences in coverage. The BBC's coverage obviously was like, here is the new doctor and here is some fan reaction. Mm. But Sky, um, the other big opposing uh, news network here in the UK were very much, um, this is Peter Capaldi, who the BBC's hope is going to give them a bounce in viewing figures. Mm. So they were very focused on this whole idea of this is a big name who's going to raise their viewing profile, mm. which, um, I mean, this whole war about whether viewing figures do or don't even matter to a, a network like the BBC that doesn't rely on uh, advertising revenue and yeah. basically makes his money from Doctor Who by 
merchandising the shit out of it essentially mm-hmm. <laughs> and selling selling um everything and anything connected to doctor who which is something i expect we'll talk about uh, another show does it really matter who's watching it or how many people are watching it so i found that that kind of that difference in emphasis on this casting decision was quite interesting mm. i have to be honest i think really we're not going to know any better until maybe at least until capaldi's first few episodes at the very yeah. earliest are done yeah. i think it'll probably be a big number for his very first episode of the doc yeah because everybody will be so. wanting to see you know what he does yeah i'd, I'd imagine maybe sort of mid series eight will get a probably best idea of yeah i mean because traditionally doctor who when we uh have full series is on mm-hmm. uh full 13 traditionally it's slump you sort of get a bit of a bell curve that the first three episodes you generally do very well and then you get a decline all the way down to sort of about episode eight nine where it sort of settles down mm-hmm. um and then goes back up for the end mm-hmm. um doctor who these days has i would estimate at least a, a solid base of about five million viewers every week mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't change people who no. watch it every week come rain or shine and then you get sort of people coming in and out you know depending on the weather and if it's a holiday or yeah. you know if there's football on the other side or whatever a million different variables doctor who does extraordinarily well on the digital catch-up service iplayer mm-hmm. i mean to the fact that virtually every week last year it was breaking records of figures of people watching on catch-up that you would have only five million people or so watching overnight but then three million people accessing it on iplayer which is an astounding number really mm-hmm. but yeah um it was interesting to note that the live show was watched by a peak of 6.9 million people mm. which was the highest rated show of the day wow yeah i mean and the fact that it was simulcast globally and this is uh, this is where i'm gonna segue professionally back into the <laughs> point I, I aborted earlier uh, the fan reaction to this whole thing, this whole concept mm-hmm. of broadcasting it live. I read a very interesting blog of someone saying that, and this is a view I tend to agree with, that the fact that this is what winning looks like. Yeah. Doctor <laughs> Who fans, we have won, right? <laughs> fuck your Star Treks. Fuck. I mean, I'm a massive Star Trek fan, but fuck Star Trek. Fuck. <laughs> Firefly, bollocks, uh, bloody everything, Battlestar, bloody Battlestar Galactica didn't have the five Cylons being revealed live on television across the globe. Did it now? No, no, no it didn't. Um, <laughs> you know, you had shows like Fringe and Lost that Sybil cast their finales across the globe, mm. um, which fair enough. Um, they were long running shows with big fan bases who were desperate not to be spoiled. I mean, I'll hold my hand up to that on Fringe. I stayed up to two o'clock in the morning and watched it live. Mm-hmm. But I think that what throws Doctor Who fans is the. This is something I think we're going to cover next week in our show of. Uh, here's a preview for you guys um, mm. that we're going to talk about how we became fans. That in the 90s, Doctor Who was despised on a level that barely. It, it, it sort of beggars belief. Mm. Um, it was the punchline to the joke. It was held in such contempt. It, it was it was a nothing. And the fact that we've gone from that to this in, mm. what, 15 years, I think that a lot of fans can't take that in. And your mind rebels against it. This little sort of shonky show that I loved kind of on my own mm-hmm. is now the biggest deal as far as sci-fi goes in the world. I mean, Star Trek just had a movie come out. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, you know it's it's done box office but who gave a shit about it on the level that people have given a shit about this announcement oh. it's it, not even in the same league yeah i mean it's it, it's it's weird i mean i mean like, like i said I'm, I'm still not super enamored of, of the live show itself but the fact that we actually managed to get one just to announce uh, you know the new doctor i mean obviously it's a big deal but that's it's still sort of like surprises it, it's me the thing. it just it doesn't compute as a yeah. fan you know a, per, a person who's a fan of sci-fi generally i can't all the other shows i love like star trek the x-files battlestar uh fringe uh you know the list goes on mm-hmm. none of those shows are even on this level you know star trek's had you know star trek nights i mean i remember watching the uk premiere of caretaker yes the end of yep stayed up very late at night watching it on my shitty tv in my bedroom yes um you know you know you get things like that but to to be on this level it just i, I just think that it doesn't compute on such a high level mm. That people have kind of, you know, reacted against it in a negative way. And that's yeah. fine. If, if you, I can completely understand where that's coming from. But I'm, I ascribe to the view of this is what winning is. Mm. You know, and enjoy it while it lasts because it won't last. Yeah. We know it won't. These things don't last. And, you know, it was that that idea that they, Doctor Who would go on forever regardless of what happened is what ultimately ended up killing the show the first time round, mm-hmm. if we're brutally honest. I think that's why it kind of it threw so many people. Mm. And again, I can completely understand your position of being a bit uncomfortable with it. It's a bit too reality TV show. We should be a bit above that because we're Doctor Who fans, not idiots who like Geordie Shaw or what have you. Mm. you know, well, you know. It, it's more the fact that it was just sort of like it was, seemed like a strange thing to do. I mean, like I say, obviously we did have the the Eleventh Doctor's reveals last year, but that was just like a longer version of like Confidential or what have you. So the fact that it's sort of like changed its format slightly mm. and you've got like a, a live studio audience and like a, a host and things like that, it just sort of, it seemed very sort of like, it was just weird. Do you know it's, what I mean? It's, it's, it's a real, it was a surreal choice. Um, yeah. But I think that obviously, I think, uh, well, not obviously, mm-hmm. cut that, but um, I think because the 50th anniversary is, is round the corner at this yeah. point. I think they're trying to stack some hype up for it. I mean, mm. the series has been off. I mean, when did the last episode, when did the name of the Doctor go out? Uh, uh, no, it's before June. Uh, April, May, June. Was it sort of May? It was May. Mm-hmm. Was it May? May? In May when it went out. So, I mean, we're sort of three, we're, we're a few months removed from that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the series is off. And as much as Doctor Who has a fan base, um, you know, if the show's not on and it's not fresh in people's minds, then you've got to do something to get it back into the public consciousness and get people mm. talking about it and get people excited. And this is the way to do it, really, I think, in this day and age, is to kind of do a big kind of shiny floor show, Saturday night spectacular kind of thing, mm-hmm. which, you know, as as a member of the Great British Viewing Public, you're quite used to, you yeah. know, like, from well, way back then. Every fucking weekend, it seems like. Yeah, indeed. I mean, hamsters got talent, and yeah, I mean, even back to the sort of the shiny floor shows of our youth, like you bet and surprise, surprise, and yeah. things like that. It's it is kind of the way we do we do Saturday night TV um, mm. in this country. So the idea that you would do that to to build some hype for arguably the corporation's biggest TV event of the year. Mm-hmm. 
it, 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 it from a marketing perspective, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, to go hard and because they can't start trailing uh, the the fiftieth anniversary two well yeah well basically two and a half months before yeah. you start doing that people are going to get sick of it be like you know when's it on this is ridiculous why are we seeing trailers for something we're not going to see for two and a half months yeah so this is the way to you know use the fact that you've got to make this announcement mm-hmm. and just go as big as you can yeah um, because one complaint I've seen from a lot of fans is that this is the fiftieth anniversary and they've done nothing about it. Well, here it is. Yeah. Is there something? Enjoy. <laughs> so, here's a question for you. Yep. Do you think Peter Capaldi, as the 12th Doctor, will keep his Scottish accent? Now, that is an interesting question. Um, possibly. I would be more surprised if he didn't. Because, obviously, we've got Moffat, who's yeah, Scottish. Scottish. I would be very surprised if he didn't. Do you know what I mean? Oh. I would be too. I think they may, obviously, having Tennant uh, take on an accent not too dissimilar to mine um, mm. for, for his run. You know, we've, we have presents for it. I mean, Sylvester McCoy did it in sort of a very kind of lilty, light Scottish accent. I mean, which mm. he has in real life. So it's not out of the realms of possibility. It's, I think they may well do it. Then again, they may not. I mean it's kind of one of those things of i think once they start doing scripts and you know once they sort of peter capaldi sort of gets a, a handle on how he wants to play it mm-hmm. is um you know i mean what there's a there's a little a little sort of 13 second video on the bbc uh website in which he says hello i'm peter capaldi and i'm the doctor mm-hmm. which he does in his natural accent which is it is mesmerising. Uh, actually, <laughs> it's really good. I, I like the little smile at the end. It's sort of almost like almost have to say, yeah. "And what the fuck are you going to do about it?" Yeah, it's a bollocks. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, suck it. Um, yeah, I think that if he did, I mean, because obviously he did that in his natural accent, mm-hmm. so if he went with that. I think it would be fine. It. I think it's just going to come down to how 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 he thinks he's going to play it when he's given a, a script and mm. what, you know, I think cause it's quite an organic process in that they kind of let them feel it out and decide how they're going to do it. Mm. I mean, again, it's sort of, you know, I wonder what his costumes could be like. Yeah. Do you know what, what would be, do you know what I think would be really funny was, what? you know, that, that suit and dark shirt he had on when he was announced as the doctor. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if that was actually his outfit as, as the doctor. And that was like, we didn't even know about it. Yeah. I mean, it could well be. I mean, um, I think that's got something more of a start. I can't, I can't see him rocking the bow tie. I have to be honest. No, I mean, you know, I think that they do have a certain amount of input. I mean, cause I know that mm-hmm. the Chuck Taylors, that uh, David Tennant wore were his own. I mm-hmm. think that leather jacket that Eccleston wore, he sort of picked out, Again, I think the whole the whole bow tie look was came from Matt Smith as well. I think he went with the tweed and all that sort of thing. So yeah. I think there's going to be a certain amount of latitude. You may well see something a bit more simple like that. I mean, I remember there was the first publicity shot that Matt Smith did mm-hmm. where it was him next to the TARDIS and he was kind of just sort of like in a jumper and jacket sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the amount of people who went, I'd, I'd like him just to wear that. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, he could... He could do that kind of dusty, kind of librarian-y, kind of just kind of a pullover over a, a shirt and tie type thing. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're never going to get again the kind of the, the question kind of, pullover or the. Yeah, you're not going to get this is a costume like the you know the, like the five, fifth doctor's yeah, like the fifth doctor's cricket outfit. I mean, that's probably of all of them. That's probably the most costumey. Really. Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, along with that and the the, the abomination that is the Six Doctors coat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're never going to get things that are blatantly like this is something we found in the BBC prop department. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to go for a thing of like it's functional and quirky kind of thing um, because ultimately the bloke, you know, he's got to run around in it for 16 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So um, I think they'll they'll go with something practical. I mean, I th- I mean, I could see him, you know, wearing something dead simple like what he wore for his um, announcement. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, I will tell you what, I cannot wait. Uh, I was mm. gonna, I think, I you know that the, the the major speculation at the moment is is he going to be in the fiftieth anniversary anywhere? Because uh, the the sort of the speculation I've seen is he might sort of appear like uh, the Watcher in Logopolis, you know. Oh, kind right. of, on the you know in the background somewhere you know like a mysterious figure mm. um and obviously a lot of speculation about his level of involvement in the christmas special mm-hmm. is going to be like what we had with uh, david tennant in that he was well in it for the whole christmas special as the 10th doctor mm-hmm. so uh obviously there's a there's a lot of speculation there yeah i i cannot wait to see what he does in a full episode with clara mm-hmm. um in the tardis i just you know i I'm on record as saying that Eleventh Hour it might well be one of my favourite episodes mm. of Doctor Who. So, really, my expectation levels have been raised. I'm hoping for an episode like that again. Right. Well, I think that's probably a good place to end it. Really. Yeah, I just think so. Yeah. So, very. I think inclusion. We're both very pleased about Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, roll on 2014. Exactly. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And we'll see you next time. The Greatest Show in the Galaxy is produced by Emma Foster and Michael Mole for the Simply Syndicated 21st Century Media Network. Be sure to check out our Simply Syndicated sister podcasts, including Movies You Should See, Take It or Leave It, For Those About to Rock, Remote Patrol, Atomic Tree War 9000, Starbase 66 and Nerd Hurdles. If you like what you hear, you can contact us at greatestshow at simplysyndicated.com or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast or on Twitter at greatestshowpod. Oh,